Um, you have your Bibles, you would open up, please, to the wonderful book of uh, first, or sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, thank you for indulging me this morning. I am like so incredibly excited. I'm so happy to be here. It's so great to be in Florida, although it was warmer in Colorado a couple of the days than it was here. Um, I'm so thankful to be here. My wife and I have been grazing through your strawberries. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, in fact, our rental car was white when we started. It's now red. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, second, uh, uh, second Samuel chapter 11, please. Uh, it starts with this. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Uh, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one of them said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she, uh, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Job, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Job sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Job and the people in the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go to your house, wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Now when David was told, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink to lie with my wife? Which David in his mind was hoping he was, that's what he was going to do. He wanted to cover his own sin. By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and next. Now David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie uh, on his bed with his Lord's servants, but didn't go to his house. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Now, I want to, uh, for those of you who are familiar with your Bibles, you know the rest of this story. Um, the rest of the story is in that letter that he wrote, he sent uh, Uriah with a letter that was carrying his death warrant. And so he literally was handing the letter that said, basically kill him. And he delivered that letter. Now, uh, please, you'll indulge me here. I'm sure all of you see why this is a fitting end to your missions emphasis week, this message. Uh, uh, and please forgive me if it's just like belaboring obvious points to you. But um, this is so, uh, you know, uh, whereas maybe you have known this for a while. For me, I, I, it just like exploded inside of me. And by the way, if you get absolutely nothing from this message, you need to come to the next service. I'm preaching something completely different to the next service. So if you get nothing from this, you just came to the wrong service this morning. <laughs> Amen. Because the next one's for you. You. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, yeah, you'll enjoy that. And uh, uh, so, listen, I spoke at a church in Alaska. They had five services on a Sunday morning. I preached a different message uh, at every service. And, and this, uh, uh, one of the pastors, uh, the senior associate pastor, looked at me. He goes, I've never seen anybody do that before. And he goes, why did you do that? I said, well, I said, number one, I'm hyper. Number two, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm hyper. But number, uh, number one, I'm hyper. Number two, there are so many scriptures and you get so little time to preach them all. Amen. Amen. So there's so many verses that I want to preach on, and this is one of them. Um, 
listen, when I say this, um, uh, Uriah was not an Israelite. He was a Hittite. You might say he was the end result of a missions project. He had gotten saved and come to the one true God of the universe. He was a man that had joined himself to the one true God. He'd be like the people that are being one to Christ all over the world through your sowing and through your going. And he got saved. And so he's on the front fighting when the church that should be going out there and doing the same is just delighting in basically playing games. David should have been out fighting. It is the time when kings go out to war. We are in a battle. We are in a battle not against, oh, if we could pass the right legislation, then our country will change. We are in the battle for the reason why there is a need in your mind for that legislation, because people are lost and they're dying and going to hell from church. The truth and the reality is the church has been uh, basically taking a vacation for so long when they should have been fighting. David, at various times in his life, took vacations that ended up bad. One big vacation he had, he was tired of living the fight of faith. And we heard a, a, a message about that during our conference about Ziklag. And I was kind of marveling at the idea that David, you know, was tired of having uh, to be one step ahead of Saul. He was living that tenacious life of faith. And, and I mean, Saul, King Saul was out to kill him. And man, he, I mean, God was delivering him. In fact, we read those great Psalms. You know, when you're having a problem with your manager at work, you go to the Psalms and sing and say, oh God, thank you for delivering me. And oh God, smite my enemy. <laughs> and, uh, and for some of you, that's your boss. And for some of you, don't look around because maybe that person's in this room. But hear this. All right. The, tr <laughs> the truth is, right, the truth is, is that, is that David decided, he goes, you know, one of these days, you know, Saul's going to get me. But had, got, had Saul gotten him at all? No. But he says, you know what, one of these days he's going to get me. So what's he saying? Maybe God's not going to be so faithful. So you know what, I got to take it into my own hands. So he took a break, it took all of his men and their families and took them and they made friendship with the world. And their friendship with the world resulted in them lying and having bad character. And ultimately, he was going to go to battle against God's people because he had aligned himself with unbelievers. That's kind of like the person in this room who basically thinks it's a clever way to witness to somebody by telling them how wrong the church is and how they're right about all their judgments of the church. Let me give you a little tangent. That is not an effective way to witness to people. Because you know what? God, Jesus is coming back for the church. Can I get an Amen. amen. Jesus is coming back for this body of believers. Are we messed up? You better believe it. <laughs> is that what makes us fun? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of people that have a lot of issues. I mean, can you imagine if everybody had it all together? How boring would this place be? All your dysfunctions make this place entertaining. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> That's why I love it when altar calls are given. I'm going up there because I'm like, I'm the head person who's got issues. And you know what? I love going up there and thinking to myself, hey, I'm not the only crazy person. Thank God. <laughs> you know what? David ends up going and aligning himself with unbelievers against the people of God. How did that work for him? All their families got taken. Amalekites come and they destroy all the rest. I mean, he flubbed up big time. And then once again, he takes a break. And we see in this story, he flubs up so bad, 
he ends up not only committing adultery, but on top of that, he ends up killing the man whose wife he stole. Now, everybody listen to me very carefully. Uriah was this man who had served the one true and only God as a direct result of the influence of the one true God. It's like the people that are on the mission field. The church overseas is growing exponentially. It's doing unbelievably well. They believe what the Bible says. They apply it to their lives. I, you know, you kind of get a little weary if you're an American and say, why is what's happening over there miraculously not happening here in America? You know, did it ever occur to you the reason why is because we've been on vacation? Listen to me when I say this. David was on vacation, and when you're not about your father's business, which is the salvation of the lost of this world, when you're not doing what the church's mission is, you are going to have yourself having this ache inside of you wanting to join yourself to something. And you know what happens? You do what David did. You join yourself in an illicit attachment to something that is horrific. And it gives birth to something that basically eliminates God's purpose for your life. What ends up happening is David joined himself to Bathsheba. And in joining himself to Bathsheba, I mean judgment's going to come. That child's going to die. The byproduct of that joining is going to die. And beyond that uh, dying, from that moment forward, you know, we, uh, in, in discipleship, for these that have gone through discipleship, we go through what the pivotal chapter is of every book. You know, it'd be hard-pressed. I don't think in 30 years of discipling people, I don't think I've ever had anybody where we had a group that didn't think that that was the key chapter of this book. Because everything is blessings before this chapter, and from chapter 11 on, nothing goes well for David. There's sexual immorality in his house. There's division in the house. Oh, it sounds like what happens in churches in America all the time. There's divisions. There's splits. There's issues. Because everybody's getting involved doing other things than what the work of the kingdom is, which is the saving of souls. And the discipling of the souls. That Look, uh, as they know, as I say all the time, our job is to pray. And when we're done having intimacy with God, the byproduct of that intimacy with God is something that is born into the kingdom. And what's born into the kingdom is the souls, because that is the object of our prayers. Is oneness with God, so we're one. You know, just as a man and woman are intimate, when they're intimate together, there's a byproduct that happens. There's fruitfulness that comes from intimacy. That fruitfulness is a child. The same thing is true when Jesus' church is intimate with him. When we are intimate with him, and you know, a lot of times we confuse that with the feelings we get when we worship. The fact is, you can literally feel these ooey-gooey feelings during worship in an incredibly anointed worship service. But that is not ultimately the thing that's going to transform you. That, that creates a presence of God where you can be transformed. Even the preaching of the word will not transform you. It won't change you. It is you going to an altar of prayer and wrestling with the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God wrestles with you and you surrender... That's what transformation happens. And when that transformation happens, then you stop thinking about yourself and you're thinking about those that are lost and those that don't know him. See, what happens is, in the story of David, as I'm sure you've seen, you see the reality of what transpires. David takes a vacation and stops seeking God. He's open to temptation, joins himself to Bathsheba, and something evil is born, and God's got to judge it. Did you ever wonder why in Florida you got so many large churches and the pastors, the minute they get the new, largest, coolest church up, there's a split? Guys, come on. I mean, Florida is a case study in this. 
in so many splits and so many new churches cropping up. It's not that people are planting churches. It's like unintentional church planting. And they're saying, look, we've, we've propagated. No, that disgruntled group of people went out and did this, and that disgruntled people went out and did that. There's, uh, uh, there's one church I'm aware of in, in Florida that has five churches that all were splits from that one church. A bunch of dead churches because God's judgment has come because they've been playing a game rather than attached to the one true and only God. You know what happens? You get yourself attached to this world, and then part of what revival is, revival is slapping you upside the head. I want you to see something. We are infecting the world with our vacationing church ideas. And you get people coming from here to go overseas. There are some people who go overseas and preach, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh dear God, please just ruin their ministry. Lord God, just let something happen where they don't go to that country so that they don't infect that country with their stuff. Do you see what happened? David is supposed to know the one true God. He has Uriah come. Uriah is all about the work of the kingdom. He's like, I'm not going to go and cohabit with my wife. This is a time of war. We need to be fighting on the battle. That's like the people who criticize everybody who's saying, man, we need to surrender more. We need to pick up the cross more. We need to witness to more people. We need to keep doing stuff. Let's give more. Let's do this. Let's, and all the rest. You know what? We, we, we rip into those people and we're basically signing their death warrant and sending them out with our judgments and all the rest and sending them out to die. They're the ones who are on fire. They're the newly saved. They're the people from other countries. They're the people that are coming. I mean, man, they got a fire inside of them. You know, you know what happens? Your youth group comes back from a retreat and they're like, oh yeah, uh uh-huh. You've been serving the Lord for 30 years at this church and you're like, don't worry, that'll die off like it did for me. Parents look at their kids and they say that all the time. Oh, don't worry, honey. You come on. Get your head straight and get back to what you need to be doing. So what do you have? You have all of a sudden you're at an altar coming up to somebody like me or coming up to pastor. And you're saying, can you please pray because my child just went off to the University of Florida. You know, sorry. <laughs> Florida State. You know, <laughs> Miami. Stop. Don't shoot. No, anyway. So, um, um, <laughs> um, that was just good right there, brother. That was local knowledge right there. All right, listen to me. Okay, um, you guys know. You guys know. Then they go off there, and you're like, they're going off, and they're getting great grades, but they're living with somebody. They have a child out of wedlock. They're not going to church. Wait a minute. Is that the child that you dragged out of the youth group meeting made it like H-E double toothpicks for the youth pastor because there were, the Spirit of God was moving, and you said the Spirit of God can move all he wants, but he better be done by 825? And you dragged them out and drove out that youth pastor and got somebody who's going to run the program the way you thought it should be run, even though you're not called to the ministry? And now you're wondering why they're not serving God the way they need to? Do you understand? You just sent out that on-fire young person, that on-fire youth pastor. You gave them your death warrant just like David did to Uriah. Is anybody, are you getting me? Where I come from, they say, you're feeling me? You're feeling me? (laughs) Right? Listen to me, okay? Listen to me. Part of what we do in the discipleship that we do is try to get Americans to understand what everybody else seems to know. And that is that we serve a God that demands everything we have and will do everything that he says in his, in his Bible he'll do. Even in America. Can I get an amen? I move too much. That's why I'm like ruining this microphone. Hear this, all right? The fact is, is that God, can I give you an example? Can I? Can I? Can I give you an example? Come on, encourage me, encourage me, encourage me. 
you're so pushy. Okay, I will. Do you have that microphone? Can you turn on? Amen. TJ. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have grabbed that. There it is, right over there. TJ, come up here. Everybody, would you put your hands together for TJ? Come on. Um, TJ, uh, uh, TJ is part of a, our discipleship, and, and he's grown so much. I'm so very, very proud of him as a son in the faith. And he's grown so much, and I make a promise to all of these young people who I love with all my heart. I make a promise to them, and the rest of our crew is over at, uh, at Reflections, I guess, this morning. Listen to me, okay? I make a promise. I say, if you'll let me push you, and if you'll take your medicine, if you will do this, I promise you, I will never ask anything of you that I don't demand of myself and I haven't all my life in Christ. And on top of that, I promise you, we're going to go overseas somewhere. We're going to plant a church. It will remain long after we leave. And you will see God do miracles. Not by watching me do them, but you yourself will lay hands on people. Did I keep my promise? He kept his promise. Tell him. What happened in Uganda? So he, he's a lot smaller than me, but he pushes a lot harder. <laughs> And, and, and he pushed me harder than anybody's ever pushed me in my life. But uh, what I've grown to know over the last three and a half years is the more somebody pushes you, the more discomfort you experience, the more you grow. And that's in all aspects of life, but spiritually uh, uh, especially. And so part of that promise uh, uh, three and a half years ago when I met him for the first time, he had said, uh, if you stick this out with me, if you let me push you, I will... Uh, I, I, I'll make you a promise. And that promise was that uh, you're going to see people healed. And you're going to see demons cast out. And, and you're going to be a part of supernatural miracles. And I was just there for the Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's not a lie. I was there for the Chick-fil-A. I, uh, I was a surface Christian. I was one of those people that showed up uh, but didn't show out. And so it took somebody pushing me. And so, uh, little did I know, I was there for the Chick-fil-A. He made this promise that I was going to see all these supernatural things if I allowed him to push me, and I stuck through it. Mm. And two and a half years later, I was in the middle of Uganda in the slums of a city called Boise. Everybody say, Boise. Boise. I'm in the slums of Uganda. I'm under an orange tarp with mm -hmm. this amazing anointed sister of mine. <laughs> and I'm under this orange tarp held up by sticks. And they drop us off and they said, go preach the word. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I've, I've never preached. I've never preached here. Uh, and, and I certainly have never preached overseas. And so quite a stretch to drop somebody off in the middle of the slums. <laughs> of Uganda, in a city that they've never been in, with people that they've never seen before, yeah. and say, go preach. Yeah. On top of that, this anointed young lady just absolutely preached an amazing word, so I got to follow that. <laughs> on top of that, he says, if you don't give an altar call, you're never going on a mission trip again. Yeah. <laughs> word up. <laughs> word. <laughs> and right before I get up there, Katie goes, you're going to do all three altar calls. Yes. Because it wouldn't transition well if I if I did one and then she did one and then, but for some reason she's like you're gonna do them all. I'm already shaking. I'm shaking. My, my, I'm trembling. Right? And I get up there, and the first thing I do is I say, Mukama Yabaze Boy. You guys say Amina. Amina. 
Everybody say Amina. Amina. So when I say Mukama Yaba Zeboe, you guys say Amina. Mukama Yaba Zeboe. Amina. So Mukama Yaba Zeboe, that means praise the Lord. And this is the only thing I learned the entire time I was up there. It's the, the, the one phrase. And Amina, that means amen. And so I figured if I could learn one thing, get on stage, say that one thing, maybe with enough prayer put into it, God will take over. Yeah. And God took over. Hallelujah. So I get up there. I say, Mukama Yabazeboe. They say, Amina. And they just started laughing because of how I said it because I definitely didn't, I didn't say it correctly. And then God totally took over. I preached a message on how we are to die to ourselves, and how we sing a song that it says, it, it says more of God and less of us, but my sermon was that it should be all of God and none of us. Yeah, come on. And as I'm preaching this, I'm kind of preaching it to myself. Yeah. Because at, at this moment, I'm dying to myself. I'm giving things up. I'm in the middle of the slums of Uganda, and I'm preaching a sermon, and I'm terrified but as I'm preaching it, I'm preaching to myself. Next thing you know, uh, it's kind of like you black out. God takes over. He preaches this message. You black out. And we get to the end of the message, and I know it's time for an altar call. And the transition was beautiful. I don't even know how God did it with me. Uh, <laughs> he didn't have much to work with. Uh, but the transition was awesome, and, and we did an altar call for salvation, and, and about four deaf children came up, and they got saved. And then we did an altar call for being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the entire congregation came up, those who were filled and those who were, uh, who, who were unfilled. And, and we said a prayer, and we led them in a prayer, and, and Katie and I held our hands out, and as soon as I said the word, speak! Everybody erupted, the entire congregation, Hallelujah. all at once, without hesitation. They all started praying in the Spirit. And if, you, and, and if you thought that was amazing, then we did an altar call for healing. And everybody that was already up there that wanted to be filled with the Spirit, everybody stayed. Every single individual in the whole church was up there. And I said, if you need healing, I want you to come up here. And we did this altar call. We led them in a, in a, in a prayer. And as soon as, as we started praying, there was just absolute chaos. The, 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 the crowd was, was, was shaking and had their hands up. Everybody was still praying in the spirit. And this one woman was right in the center. And she was flailing her arms. And I thought she caught the Holy Ghost, you know. I thought, I was like, thank you, Jesus. I put my hand on her head and I kept going. I was praying. I was, I was touching everybody. I was putting my hands, laying my hands on them. And I go around the backside and I'm praying on them. And I'm, 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 I'm touching them and, and I'm, Lord, heal them, heal them, heal them all the way. And I, I tell the band, I'm like, band, let's, let's keep this going. And they get up there and they got this, like, this, this makeshift band and, and this, these old speakers. And, but it was still, it was so beautiful. And, and they get up there and they start worshiping. And then the pastor, he gets the other microphone and he's praying in the spirit. And I got the other microphone. I'm praying in the spirit. And then I see Katie. And at that moment, I knew this woman was manifesting a demon, and I've never seen that. I've never been a part of it. I didn't know how to handle it. But the only way I could explain it 
was as I was walking over to this woman, and Katie's got her hands on her, and the pastor's got his hands on her, all I could, all I could explain is that any question in the entire world that I could have ever mustered up, any question, God would have answered it at that exact yeah, moment. Yeah, come on. That's the feeling I have. The presence of God was so thick that you could drop a nuclear bomb on this tarp and not a hair on a head would have been hurt. Yeah. There's no way to explain it until you're out there and you're doing it and you're pushing yourself and you're putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation and it's no longer, uh, 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 I want more of God, but it's all of God at that moment. It's all of God. Hallelujah. And it's none of me. Hallelujah. I was completely removed. And, and I laid hands on her with Katie and the, and the pastor and we spoke words over her and I was saying words that I had never said and, and, and I loosed in the name of Jesus and, and we, were, we, were, we were having this, this spiritual warfare that I'd never been a part of. I didn't know what to do but God told me what to do and, and, and through it, laying hands on her and she was flailing and she had her mouth closed and she was shaking her head no and she was on the ground. And, and she, at one point, she was completely unresponsive. And then the next point, she's moving again and flailing. And we got people holding her down. And the next thing you know, she looks up. And it's a totally different person there. She Hallelujah. looks up. And she's totally freed of something that she, she had been possessed by for years and years. Yeah. And in that moment, she was supernaturally healed by God by a person that just years before had, had no idea. Yeah. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's right, brother. My brother, is that you? Yeah. That was beautiful. <laughs> Tell me Chick-fil-A ain't beautiful. That's from God right there. Chick-fil-A and Chipotle are from Jesus, I'll tell you that. He has issues. <laughs> Nothing beats this man's cooking, though, I'll tell you that. But this, this kid from, from Denver, Colorado, who's broken, who's absolutely just undeserving, in the middle of the slums, somebody took a chance on me. This man took a chance on me. And it absolutely transformed my life. It transformed this woman's life. And imagine, she might go transform somebody else's life. Yeah. And that person's going to transform. But it took somebody to push me out of my comfort zone. Somebody needs to push you out of your comfort zone. You guys got to die to yourself. Yeah. You guys got to die to the fear that you have inside that's saying, Oh, maybe I'll go next year. Or maybe it's too dangerous. You have to push yourself outside of those things. Yeah. Amen. We were singing a song this morning. And I believe that somebody in here is called for missions, but they're afraid. Yeah, TJ. And the song we sang this morning says, I am no longer a slave to fear. Hallelujah. Can you say that with me, church? I am I'm no, no longer, longer a slave, slave to fear. To fear. Let's say it again. I am no, no longer, longer a slave, slave to, to fear. fear. We're no longer slaves to fear, church. Yeah. There's somebody in here that's called to missions. And if that's you, you are no longer a slave to fear. The Lord has set you free. You are a child of God. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I've never heard anybody going with this man. And I've never heard him come back and say that their life hasn't been absolutely transformed for the glory of God. That man single-handedly transformed my life through the glory of God. He taught me what it is to actually follow him and become a fisher of men. You guys are called to follow Christ. You guys are called to step out of that comfort zone. And when you do, I promise, I promise you, it's going to transform your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to share a scripture with you guys, and it's really, really quick scripture. Psalms 96.3. Declare his glory among the nations. Hallelujah. Church, say that with me. Declare Declare his his glory glory among among the the nations. nations and his marvels and deeds among all people. Hallelujah. You're not just called to, to preach to those in your neighborhood, which you are called to speak to, 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 to those as well, and those at the grocery store, and, and those in your community. That's fantastic. But we are called for all the nations and to speak to all the people and not to sit in our comfort zone and, and, and not to just hold back all this God we have, this Jesus built up inside of you. Yeah. You're called to share it with others. Hallelujah. Oh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> If I wasn't on a time limit, I'd be here all day. Thank you guys for, for, for letting me come be a part of this. I'm so, I'm so humbled. I really appreciate it. God bless you all. He's a great big son. <laughs> but TJ's life, previous to Jesus, was not unlike David's in terms of being joined. Because this generation has had too much sexual immorality. And was joined to too much of evil. Even today, so many young adult ministries in their 20s and 30s, and you know this, Pastor, are just nothing but meat markets and hookup clubs. We're desperately in need of a church like this in Denver, Colorado. We need God to move. David joined himself. And what ended up dying was the foreign person who got saved. What Cornet shared is such a word Amen. from God. Thank you. The truth is, is that oil is flowing. Oil that needs to flow through you to the nations of this world. 